The opinions expressed in the following video are not in their entirety endorsed by this podcast. They are instead the focus of our discussion today. This is your content warning. Have you ever noticed that many churches will talk about discipleship and they'll measure attendance, live streams and comments and children's check-ins and parking spaces. But if you ask about how we might measure the fruit of the spirit, even on a self-reported basis, that's treated as a ridiculous question. I mean, it's the one thing we're told to expect as an outcome of an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And yet here we are talking about how many Volvos we can fit in a row. Sure, that's a practical problem. I get it. But you optimize for what you measure. If we don't seriously try to measure the thing that we're told is the desired outcome, then we aren't seriously trying to do the thing. Now, I'm not talking about anybody in particular here. It just seems to me like a pretty widespread miss. I'm Elias Dummer. If you like this sort of geeky stuff, hang around and let me know what you think. Hey, Joshua, what's up? What's up, man? How are you? Marvelous. Good to see you. <laughs> it is good to see you too, man. Uh, it's been, like I said, it's, I, 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 I want to say every time that it's been a, a hot minute since we've done one of these, but it's been about a month, right? Like yeah. this is a once a month thing. Yeah. We understand what's happening. Uh, but I did. I wanted to throw this question at you, right? Because I thought of this earlier today. And so you and I are both preachers, right? Yep. Right. Like that's how we count. We're ministers, preachers, mm-hmm. you know, fill in the blank with whatever you want to, whatever word you want to use, you prefer there. Um, so I want to ask you this: What has being a preacher, right, your occupation? What has what has that ruined for you? Yeah, um, there's a lot of things that you just can't look at the same way as a as a preacher, you know. Because and, and it's because we spend our lives getting into the text and seeing things that people don't maybe see the first time through or whatever. Um, but I tell you what else, Nathan: It's not just being a preacher for me; it's being a PhD kind of academic student in biblical studies. So all, all of that goes in together. Doing all that stuff has ruined like biblically themed movies and TV shows. See, I knew you were going to go that route. I knew you were going to go that route. I can't. It's it's like my wife is a nurse and we cannot watch medical shows because (laughs) she's like, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Well, like for me, we can't watch, I don't know. Like I'm trying to think of an example, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's like hard, the passion man. or something along those lines, or what was it? Yeah, uh, the, the passion. Um, I remember uh, I watched our Carter's Ten Commandments. Book. That's yeah. A, well, so I was gonna say like Carter, who was on our last podcast, right? Yeah. Got to Carter. If you haven't watched the last podcast, you really should. We had a great conversation yep. uh, with Carter Milam, who's over in, uh, in in the Phoenix area now. But Carter and I watched uh, the movie uh, Exodus, mm-hmm. right? And that was really interesting to look at that and like follow through the text and kind of pick it apart here, there and, and, and the other because of, and again, there are obviously some artistic liberties that are taken when you're, when you're producing something sure. like that. Um, you know, something like the chosen, I think I've sent you clips from the chosen yeah. that I think are just hysterical. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a, there's a, again, a hypothetical conversation that, that John uh, is having with his mother uh, mm-hmm. And John makes the comment about how, you know, Jesus loved me, right? Like we had a special relationship. And his mom says, you know, yeah, Jesus loved all of you. So you just feel the need to talk about it. And that to me is hysterical because I could see that happening. I yep. don't know that it happened, but I, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, mm-hmm. Similar to you, uh, I, I, VBS is ruined for me. And that's sad because like I loved VBS as a kid. I have two young kids. Like we've taken them to VBS. VBS gets ruined for me. Um, yeah. And it's like over little stuff, right? Like over little stuff. Um, uh, you know, we went to uh, earlier this week, we went to like a VBS at VBS esque thing um, where they had uh, Zacchaeus, you know, like you went from room to room to room at these different Bible characters. Really cool. Really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like Jonah gets vomited out of the fish. And Jonah in this production is dressed nicer than Zacchaeus. And Jonah's just been in the belly of a fish for three days. And Zacchaeus is like the wealthiest of the wealthy person yeah. in his time. Right. And I'm like the, the two and two and getting five. That's what it felt like at the time. And so the little things like that, that just, I don't know, you can't look at it the same way. And uh, you can call it an occupational hazard, I guess, if you wanted to. But I, every, I think everybody goes through that, not just preachers. Like you mentioned with Kayla, 
you know, you can't watch. We had really good friends in Tupelo, and he talked about that all the time. Like, he oh, can't yeah. watch medical dramas in any mm-hmm. way, form, or fashion. Uh, well, I mean, I've, I've always been bad. a, I've always been a farm kid, so like, yeah. I can't, I can't watch TV shows like Yellowstone that have to do with ranching or whatever. There's, <laughs> right. there's, a, there's one episode of Yellowstone where the, one of the ranch hands starts bronc riding. Yeah, and he like gets on this one horse and rides him perfectly the very first time, and he's yeah. just a natural. Yeah. Like you've got to hit the ground off of about a hundred horses before you ever ride one. Are you sure and it's not I, just you? I, no, I'm positive <laughs> it's not just me. I hit I the ground you. on two hundred horses. I got you. Okay, okay, I understand. Uh, yeah, it's always funny when you look at stuff like that, uh, yeah. and you kind of compare that to real life. And again, not to not to be down on on you know. Uh, was artistic liberties, so to speak, but it is something that I think is kind of, kind of interesting. Uh, so there you go. Fun little icebreaker. Let us know in the comments of this, whether you're on Spotify or YouTube or wherever you happen to find this Facebook, uh, we kind of post to a lot of different places, but let us know what, what has your job ruined for you? Right. Um, people used to tell me all the time, uh, I used to sell real estate and people used to tell me all the time, I think I'd be really good at real estate. I'm a, I'm a people person. I was like, look, if you're a people person, you can sell things to people. Real estate might be your thing. I said, but if you just like people, probably shouldn't go into real estate mm-hmm. um, or auctioneering for that matter. I mean, Josh, yes. you, can, you can speak to that too. Being yep. a people person and liking people, two different things. Yep. <laughs> um, hey man, so, every job would be great if it wasn't for the people. Uh, you, that's, there's a lot of truth in that. I yep. mean, honestly, there's a lot of truth in that. But yeah, uh, like I said, if you just really like people, um, try not to work with them because somebody will make you mad at some point in time. But anyway, but let's get into the video. Uh, super excited about this one, man. This, so this was, this one, you found this one. Elias drummer is the guy's name. If you want to find this, the video that we've played is actually connected to his Instagram, uh, originally. So if you want to look him up, it's, uh, he's just at Elias drummer, E L I A S D U dumber, dumber. Yeah. Dumber D U M M E R. I thought it was drummer. It's dumber. Uh, but anyway, that's his name. I'm not calling him dumb. By the way, it's D-U-M-M-E-R. Not, there's no B in that. So, um, But he makes this comment, right? He makes a comment about how churches are really big, uh, trying to it's overly simplified, right? He, he basically makes the claim that churches really like to talk the talk, but they don't like to walk the walk, or at least they like to talk the talk in certain areas and ignore the ones that are more important, right? Yeah. And he uses examples of, discipleship and uses examples of attendance. Uh, and then he basically asked the big question, why are we measuring again, watch the video a couple of times if you need to, but he, he basically says, look, in an overly simplified way, churches are really great about measuring things that don't matter and really bad about not measuring things that do matter. And yep. so that's kind of where the, that's kind of where the, our conversation starts, right? With this mm-hmm. particular video. Yeah. We had a, um, a conversation back well, I say back. It, it has been back. It's not mm-hmm. as far back in our history as I like to think it has been. But we had a conversation where I'm at in our local congregation after COVID about people coming back to the worship service. Yeah. And that's a yeah. problem, I think, across the board is we have a lot of people who stopped coming on a regular basis for whatever reason right. and now just simply aren't, even if they're able-bodied and healthy or whatever. And, and right. that can be and, and I think is a problem. But we got so bogged down in worrying about the numbers. And this yeah. is my own congregation. Oh, yeah. Eventually, though, um, we, we basically said we need to be more concerned about those who die in the Lord, counting those numbers, than we are those who are there on Sunday morning. Yeah. You know, so uh, and, and I think that's something else that a lot of people, especially in uh, in ministry and in church leadership, yeah, don't understand is like because we're focused on how many people can we baptize this year? Yeah. Uh, how many people can be? Do we or have that number for yeah, year, yeah you know? that, that number on the board, right? For those right. of you that did not grow up in, in a small country church or a large country church yeah. for that matter and rural uh, Southeast United States or just a smaller church in general, for those of you that don't know what I'm referring to, uh, at the front, so that everybody could see, of every church building in America, um, at least in this part of America, regardless of denomination, there used to be two little boards, similar to what you would see out on your church sign, where every Sunday morning, uh, some guy would come out with these tiny little black and white numbers, and mm-hmm. it would say Sunday morning attendance, and he'd slide the numbers over, and right below that, it would say contribution. 
right above the weekly budget. He'd slide that number in there as well so that everybody could see what the attendance was for Bible class, for Sunday morning worship, for Sunday night worship. Some places had uh, Wednesday Bible class, your contribution, your budget, all that stuff. Yep. Uh, If you grew up in this general area of the country, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you grew up in a small church, um, kind of a small rural church somewhere else in the country, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, And for a long time, Going, I mean, again, I agree with you. It's it's been a problem since COVID, right? Like we're so well, focused it's been a problem on before COVID, but exactly, that's, that's, more that's, so yeah. after. That's my point, right? It, yeah. COVID has been a thing where we've been so focused on getting back to the number that we were before COVID. Yeah. But even before COVID, you can go back to probably the mid to late '90s. There was this massive push of we had to focus on that number at the front of the building, right? Yeah. Like we wanted that number to grow as big as possible. Which then starting you getting into like that that early two thousand five six seven and then on through like two thousand fourteen that decade right mm-hmm. there where you really saw this kind of explosion of mega churches yeah right, right. where like numbers was the end all be all indicator of a healthy church or mm-hmm. a discipling church or whatever the case may be and then there were other numbers tracked inside that just general audience picture. Yeah. Um, and then you have the uh, this mentality from your church leadership where it's like it doesn't matter what our members are doing during the week. As right. long as and I, I don't Lord, forgive me for using this phrase. It's all about butts in seats. Yeah. As long as you have butts in seats on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And like we're tracking our ratio because Sunday morning is like God's holy hour. Right. So you have uh you, you have well, you know, God, God is more likely to show up on Sunday mornings than Sunday nights. So I guess. Just, yeah. Well, Jesus rose early Sunday morning. So right. sarcasm. Yeah. Just yeah. Well, no, he did rise early Sunday morning. Well, no, okay. You know what it I mean. It doesn't necessarily right. mean yeah. that we have the, to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> the more holy thing on yeah. Sunday morning, that was the sarcastic part. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so you have Sunday morning and then like where I'm at, we could have anywhere from 210 to 250, depending right. on the day. And then right. Sunday night. Before COVID, our ratio was pretty, you know, it was like 180. Right. You know? So that was, that if 80, we had 250 and went to 180, yeah, that's that basically your older people who don't drive at night. Yeah. yeah. Which is which was great. Now we can have about 215, 220, and our ratio on Sunday night is like 80 to 100. Yeah. Where in the world are those 100 people going? Yeah. You know, and it's not just a, a problem for our congregation. It's a problem all across the board, but we, oh, yeah. and we, and it is a problem and attendance needs to be something that we think about. Yeah. But, but is it the main way to measure congregational success? Yeah, absolutely. So here's, let's, let's back up on that real quick. Cause I want to add one, one question in particular, just cause I don't think this is where he's going with this particular video. And mm. I want to answer your question too, Joshua, for sure. But the one thing that I do want to kind of get out of the way first is before we get too far into this, because we're going to say a lot of stuff about what you should measure, Hmm. right? And the things that should be prioritized. But I want to start with this question. Is it bad to measure those things, quote unquote? I'm doing air quotes. If you're listening to this instead of watching it to do the air quotes, is it bad to measure those things? Like, is it bad to measure attendance numbers or Bible class numbers or Wednesday night numbers? Um, I don't think so because I've seen this, right? I've seen this happen in other ways where... What happens is is congregations refuse to look at numbers, period. Right? Mm-hmm. They're like, we don't care what the number is. We just yeah. want to notice who's here and who's not. Right. And, and the numbers and help I've, you do that, to be honest. Sorry? The numbers help you do that. Exactly. To, to know who's here and who's not. Right. Exactly. Like, if I'm missing 100 people and I know that, like, if, so if there's 100, let's say there's 105 people that show up. And I know that normally my average Sunday morning attendance is 207 and now there's 105. Mm. All right. I can ask questions. Who's not there? Why are they not there? This, sure. that, and the other. Because what happens is when you refuse to look at numbers, period, what happens is inevitably, I don't care how, how big you are, how small you are, how on top of it you think you are, inevitably, somebody falls through the cracks. Um, and more and more and more people will start falling through. If you're not worried about numbers at all, more and more and more people will start falling through the cracks, and then they'll start feeling like they're being ignored or forgotten or not cared about because they haven't been there in four, five, six weeks, and nobody's done anything to help, right? And so 
I don't think, and again, I'm not, I don't think this is where Elias is going with this video in particular. I don't, because he never makes that comment, right? He never says sure. it's bad that churches focus on numbers. Yeah. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't make that argument either. I mm -hmm. do agree with the premise, though, that there are things more important worth measuring more, right? That, yeah. that you're going to emphasize, right? Like if you, if you're hitting 200 on a weekly basis, um, I don't know, like, and, and like you want to hit 250. I don't know that that should be the primary focus, right? Is, well, we've got to figure out a way to get to 250 as opposed right. to, well, we've got to figure out a way to feed the 200. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. And, and there's something else about that too. Like there's a motivation within us to want to have the numbers because numbers validate. So if you're a congregation of 250, 300, 1,000, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. that's the congregation that people like. They probably like the singing. They like the preaching. They like the activities mm -hmm. that are going on there. And that's a that's a fine thing if those things are profitable. Right. A lot of congregations that have 1,000 people may not be profitable. Right. Because you know, they may be preaching a prosperity gospel or not right. all the truth well, or whatever. I mean, yeah. And let's just let, let's get real. Like I've said, look, there's places for both. But if we're getting real honest and real vulnerable, I'll speak for me. Let Josh will speak for him as a preacher. Just putting it out there. I'm not saying this is where our priorities are. But if you get a chance to speak in front of 1,200 people, feels kind of good yeah. when you speak in front yeah. of a group of 1,200 people as opposed to if you walk into a Bible class with three. Yeah. Now, conversation may be deeper with those three people. Sure. You may do a lot more good with those three people, and those are things that need to be focused on. But from yeah. just a preacher perspective, it feels good when you get to talk to more people. Like, And again, part of that is just tied on to just, I mean, the general, again, kind of growing, and maybe Joshua and I are probably more liking this than we realize it, but growing up, you know, in that kind of theater-esque background, right? Again, yeah. not that we're trying to be showy as preachers, but there's just something about being able to perform for, again, perform maybe not the right word, but from an acting perspective. Right. There's something about being in front of a, a sold-out house as opposed to just parents, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it feels good. You know, it feels good when there's more people to tell you that you did a good job or you know, maybe you spoke twelve hundred people, and all twelve hundred told you, you did a bad job. Maybe your maybe your mindset would change on that a little bit. But, but you know, going back to our video, um, yeah, the there are congregations that have a thousand people, fifteen hundred right. people, whatever, and then there are congregations that have thirty. And I mm -hmm. would argue that the scriptures are being studied more diligently and are being lived more diligently in some of those thirty member congregations. Than they ever would be yeah. in a thousand, and that's not yeah. that's not a matter of number. The number right. is a reflection of why people are going. Right. And part of the reason all these people want to go to all these congregations is because, like what Paul tells Timothy, I think it's in Second Timothy four, is that people are going to turn aside to itching ears. Right. You know, they're going to they want to hear what they want to hear. They don't want to have the truth of the gospel and the truth yeah. of the word preached to them. They want to hear what makes them feel good. Right. And sometimes, not all the time, there are right. several larger congregations that yeah. do teach the word. Right. But many times the, the size, unfortunately, in today's world, I think the size of a congregation can be a reflection, not always, but can be a reflection of whether or not the truth is being spoken there. Yeah. And I would and, agree with that to an extent. In both right? ways. Right. You know, if you've got a congregation of 30 people, maybe the truth isn't being spoken there. Right. And that's maybe why there's nobody there. Going somewhere else. So number is an indicator, but it's not always an indicator of what you think it is. Right. And that's that's kind of what I was going to say. There's there's always, I'm trying to think the best way to say it. There are reasons that congregations are big in the way that they're big, and they're not always bad reasons, right? Like, right. I mean, yeah. you look at a congregation that's busting at the seams. Well, it's because parents want to be somewhere where their children can be fed, right? And maybe mm -hmm. this church has a more active uh, or a deeper spiritually minded youth program yep. or uh, this this particular congregation is focused on outreach, and that's where I want to pour my my heart and effort and that sort of thing. Um, the congregation then, that I interned at when I was in college had a thousand members. Yeah, but I will I will die on this hill. They were probably the most unified congregation I've yeah. ever been to. Everybody knew everybody and cared about everybody, and they were the most one of the most biblically accurate and literate congregations that I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, and that's a that's a testimony, that's a testament to, 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 yeah. to their leadership and their ministers and, th and people like that. You know, 100 percent. And I've been to some 10, 15 member congregations yeah. preaching for them in college that 
all they wanted to do was be there for Bible class and worship, and they didn't care one iota about you know anything. Well, they you, they didn't you, care about learning or whatever well, yeah, they wanted to. You, just be there. I mean, we been there right like we've been to those places that if you gave them the lord's supper during bible class nobody'd stick around for the sermon anyway yeah that's right um, i yeah. mean that's just that's just kind of one of those things um but yeah no, i mean that's that's a testament to to the place that you were at and it's it's just one of those things that there's always and i think you have to understand too for anybody that's listening to this outside of our general geographic area i think that there's numbers here mm-hmm. more so than like out west or up north or wherever sure. numbers here can be drastically influenced just based on geography alone. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, some of the largest congregations in like the Detroit, Michigan area are where they are because you have to drive an hour, hour and a half to get to a church. Sure. Period. Uh, my parents, not my parents, excuse me, my in-laws lived in Boca Raton, Florida, like super South Florida. They drove 45 minutes and they drove 45 minutes to the closest, not the biggest, the closest congregation. They had about 30, 30 people in it. Yeah. Um, to get to a congregation of over 100, they had to drive an hour and a half. And when they got to that congregation, that congregation is about 500. Mm. So, I mean, like, ge- geography plays a big role in this, too. And I think, sure. quite frankly, geography is the reason that sometimes smaller churches get smaller and bigger churches get bigger. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know here in particular— uh, and again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but I know here in particular, there's a, a congregation one county over um, that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it seems like they're growing and it's fantastic for them. And, sure. and I know that the the ministry staff over there is is, is top notch. Um, but a lot of their growth has been because there's six or seven churches within 10 minutes of that place mm-hmm. that have 30, 40 member congregations and people are just trickling to the bigger place. So let um, me ask you something about that, because yeah. that was something I wanted to bring up. You have congregations that grow exponentially. So, for example, I'll just talk about my own. When we built our new building, which is on the completely other side of town from where we were, mm-hmm. it was a new building. Uh, we had gotten down to about 180 members. Right. In three months, we were up to 250, like actual placed members. Okay. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was we we're a new congregation, a new area, and people who are closer to us, like you said, in geography, right. weren't going to their congregations, a lot of older people. And I'm glad to have them, love them to death. Right. <laughs> um, but they started coming here and, and placed membership with us rather right. than where they had been going. Some of that was out of convenience. Some of yeah. it was there were congregations that split and people came over to us too, you know, things like that. But here's the thing we did not grow to 250 by baptizing another hundred people. Right. We grew by already Christians, people who are mm-hmm. already Christians coming to us. Yeah. Um, I really think that the measure of church growth and understand I'm saying that for a reason, not congregational growth. Right, right, right. Church growth needs to be measured by how, by those that we are able to bring into the Lord and those who we're able to keep in the Lord. Yeah. Those two. I think that's the key of it, right? I think that's the key of it because I think we get really bogged down with numbers, period. Um, And numbers, and again, we could go on for, I mean, we we could talk for two hours about this. Numbers are indicative of so many different issues. Sure. Um, Deaths, births, Mm. moves. uh, I mean, that you just, there's so many different things. Like for... There are so many congregations in the Nashville area. Ashland City is one that comes in. And don't get me wrong. Um, I think Ashland City probably had pretty good teaching at the time. I don't know a whole lot about Ashland City. But I know Ashland City, when it started, had maybe 20 people. Now mm-hmm. they're about 200. Yeah. Um, a lot of that could be preaching. A lot of that could be the fact that, quite frankly, Nashville has been the hottest real estate market in the world for six years in a row. Yep. Uh, from like 2000, I think it was 2013 or 2019, yep. over 100 people a day were moving to Nashville. Well, if you're 20 minutes outside of Nashville, chances are you're going to get some of that overflow. Yeah. And again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not withholding credit from anybody that was at Ashland City that put in the effort to get those people in. But numbers are indicative of so many different things. But I think the key that you said was keeping people there, right? Yeah. This idea of growth is measured in so many different areas. And we talk all the time, at least ministers, most of us talk all the time about the difference between uh, like growth and swelling. Numbers are more indicative of swelling. Uh, you get a new preacher, your numbers spike for a few weeks, and then it kind of trickles back out because people are deciding whether or not they like the new guy or you know, they just want to come check out the new guy, knowing that they're not going to be there full time. Um, and, and then you've got growth, which is more of a personal type thing. And so 
in the video, he does something kind of interesting here that I think is, and I want to get your take on this, Joshua, too. Because in the video, he almost makes like seemingly a topic shift, right? Because he talks about how churches are so anxious to, to track discipleship. Right. And then he starts listing off attendance, cars and parking lots, so on and so forth. I would argue that that has nothing to do with discipleship at all, um, as far as just from a numbers perspective go. Discipleship goes so much deeper than that. But then he kind of switches it to why don't we measure the fruits of the spirit? And I guess that was kind of part of the last question. Like, why wouldn't we measure discipleship? Mm-hmm. But I think it's a good I think, you had, again, we talk about it on here a lot. You have to define what discipleship is. Um, and then he moves into that. Like he starts out with why do we measure discipleship and not fruit of the spirit? And I guess my point is that's kind of a weird, I'm not going to say bait and switch because that sounds more like mischievous than I think he meant for it to. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're defining what discipleship is, I mean, I think you should be concerned with discipleship, but I think you should also be concerned with the fruits of the spirit. I don't think they're combative in their nature. I think if you measure the fruits of the spirit, discipleship is inevitably what's going to happen. And I think he makes mention of that, right? Like he he says that's supposed to be a a natural progression or a natural result of measuring something like the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that gets me about that is, the, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to correct you on anything. No, go for it. But when you look in Galatians 5, the word fruit in English and in Greek is yeah. singular. Yeah, no, it's but, fruit. Did I say fruits? Yeah. Did I say fruits? Yeah. Okay, see, I was maybe just quoting him. That's a big pet peeve of mine, too. See, but, I can't even keep my own pet peeve straight. Well, that's okay. But if you're measuring the fruit of the Spirit, it's right. not that it's it's multiple fruits that, you know, like love is a fruit, joy is a fruit, peace is a fruit. Right. No, it's all it's fruit. It's one fruit that's made up of all of these things. Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of put it in livestock terms because that's what I understand. When you buy a feeder calf... Let's say you get a feeder calf at about 800 pounds. You got to grow that calf to 1150 in order to kill it. Okay. For beef. Right. So we sorry. We got more of it here. We talking don't, about killing we, don't kill, we don't kill animals around here. Josh, what are you talking about? I go away. I do. <laughs> but but we're going to get a shit now. <laughs> what do you do? You, you feed that calf daily, multiple times a day. I mean, you're making that Absolutely. calf eat over and like overeat, you know, yeah. you're wanting to grow it as fast as you can. But what is it that you're measuring? I'm not measuring how much feed I'm pouring to the calf. I'm measuring how much weight that calf is gaining. Right. And so transfer that to the church and what you right. and I do. All we are are feeders. We mm-hmm. have the food. We have the, the, the word. We give it to the audience and they eat. Okay. A measurement of how good the audience is. Is it's quit laughing at me. I'm being I'm serious. I'm not laughing. I, you know, you know, when you said we're feeders, you know where my mind went. We're not going to go down that <laughs> rabbit hole. We're not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, we are. It is. You know, we're- no, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. Um, uh, I, I think I think you've got shepherds. I think you've got sheep. And I think that you and I could be most aptly described as feeding troughs, right? Yes, like we, we are simply there as a distribution center yep. from That's what it. shepherds expect of us to to the to the sheep to the rest of the congregation, right? Hundred um, And again, depending. So again, you know where you know where my mind was on this. Yeah, I, I, know, uh, I, think, I, I think you're absolutely right. right. I think you're absolutely right. I'm not laughing at you in any stretch. Um, but, some, but sometimes, what my point is, we get bogged down in measuring the feed. You know, like, well, we haven't had a sermon series out of the Gospel of John in six months, so we got to do yeah. that. Or you know, well, we got to make like I had I had. Well, I shouldn't probably say this. I'm going to anyways. I get some criticism sometimes as a preacher mm-hmm. because of my delivery in certain sermons. You know me. I tend to be very yeah. straightforward, uh, kind of blunt in sermons. Yeah. You know, I don't really sugarcoat a lot. Need more. And of that, yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. That's kind of how I, because I think that the word has been written perfectly and all it needs is to be t- told, you know, uh, I, I don't have to come in and make the word palatable. It's that's already not there. Right. Yeah. It's, so, any, that's any not good, my job to do that. Any good preacher will tell you that, that we're not supposed to make it palatable. We're supposed yeah. to present it in a way that people can understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the emphasis. We're not supposed to try to manipulate it to make it right. seem more, right. uh, so, more ex- you know, accepting or whatever. But but sometimes we will measure how the food, to use that illustration again, how the yeah. food is being put out, you know, because people would rather eat 
dessert and sweets rather than Brussels sprouts. Sometimes the Bible gives you Brussels sprouts. That's true. And, you know, a good feed trough will have both you the Brussels sprouts when you need it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and so that's that's the thing, though, too, right? Because we talk, we say the word balance on here probably oh, a thousand yeah. two times a day. And you, you start talking about uh, you start talking about all these different things that um, you present themselves. Right. When, mm-hmm. when you start talking about uh, the, the balance of the diet, so to speak. Right. Like you did. You, you grew up with cattle. I grew up with hogs. Um, yeah, I grew up with hogs too. Yeah, so you, you want to throw those in the same category you can. That's, that's fine. Um, but a lot of it is balanced, right? Because so what happened in, in church history, and again, not to get too bogged down here, but what happened is, is for like the better half of a century, we had the era of hellfire and brimstone. Sure. Right. And so people grew up with that. People grew up with mm. you do this, you're going to hell. You do this, you're going to hell. The devil's out to get you. You do. And it, I mean, that's all people heard. Like my grandparents yeah. grew up in that era. Um, and so what we did was we compromised, right? Or we swung the pendulum. We overcorrected. That's the word. We overcorrected yep. and we spent, you know, the latter half of said century preaching nothing but God is grace, God is love, God is mercy. And there are no consequences to your actions whatsoever. Yep. Yep. Uh, and there's got to be balance, right? There's sure. got to be a balanced diet presented to whoever's eating it. Um, you know, that's, you, you can't just constantly, there is a, you can't just constantly give fluff or, or things without substance. Now, yeah. here, here's the question I'm going to ask, because this provides a really great segue, and we can backtrack if you want to. This provides a really great segue into kind of our next little point. What exactly is it that we're supposed to measure? Right. right? Because you made the comment, and this is, I'll let you clarify, because I'm, I'm, probably, I'm probably interpreting this differently than you said. Because you said we spend too much time measuring the feed as opposed to the growth. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I kind of get where you're coming with that. But at the same time, you almost have to measure the feed to some extent, right? You do. Because um, you don't want to, you don't want to, overfeed. Right. Um, even Paul writes to the church that I guess it was Corinth. He writes to the church of Corinth that like, I should be able to give you solid food at this point, sure. but I'm still having to give you milk because you're not growing where. And so you've got to measure the feed to some extent because you don't want to, I mean, like, look, you don't want to throw a new convert into a class about yeah. revelation of the Holy spirit. Sure. It's just, it's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, my point with that was when you look to and, and illustrations are always imperfect, so mm-hmm. pardon my imperfect illustration. But when you look at a cow and you're growing the cow, what is it that you're counting? What is it that that means success for you? Right. It's, it's not. It's not the. Um. It's not the feed that's being put out. It's the amount of pounds that are being retained. Right. Yeah. Okay. So. So people want to blame the preacher a lot, or the elders, or the deacons. Right. For the success of the congregation. Right. Well, let's measure, like we said, the fruit of the spirit, which is like pounds on a calf. Right. If if our congregations are the same spiritually today as we were six months ago or six right. years ago or 60 years ago, something's probably wrong. We're not growing. So right. con- church is a growth process. Being a Christian is a growth process process. Right. And and we've and it's it, it's growth in adapting, but it's also growth in biblical literacy, in living the fruit of the spirit, in right. converting others, in evangelism. You know, I I'll, I'll tell you right now, as I look at churches across the board, and I mean this across the world, not necessarily yeah. just where yeah. I'm at. And, and you know, praise God for mission efforts overseas and in dangerous places. Those are really growing and doing well as far as I'm and concerned. They're needed. But the church typically across the world is on a steady decline because we have lost our evangelistic spirit and we've lost our stance for truth and and it's on a decline. Well, and see, that's the thing though, like because ironically, for the first time in 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 like the world perspective of the church, um, there are more missionaries coming into the United States yes. thinking that we're a mission field as opposed to, moving out of the United States, looking to evangelize others. That's a, for, the, for, for the first time in the history of organized religion yeah. since ever, right? People are, um, and even, and, and, and I don't mean like, like there are African religion missionaries coming. Uh, no, I mean like these are Christians yep. who practice Christianity in Africa mm-hmm. who are coming to the United States for mission efforts yep. because the United States for the first time in the history of the United States, more people are unchurched than not. Yep. 
Um, I'll never I mean, that forget was, that was that was that kept that caught headlines. I guess it was this past year. Yeah, um, I guess it was twenty twenty one or tail end of twenty twenty. That took over headlines everywhere. Yeah. Um, that for the first time in the history of the United States, fifty one percent of people consider themselves not religious or unchurched as opposed to religious. Right. Um, I'll never forget when Kosi, uh, he was a guy that went to Freed mm-hmm. with us. From, he's yeah. from Zimbabwe, I think. Um, but he he said in like a preaching class or maybe in chapel or something like that um, why he went to Freed Hardeman to get a Bible degree. And he's, yes. now he's been in Africa for a while. I think they started a school there and he's doing church work yeah, over there right now. I can't remember if he's currently in the United States or not right now. Yeah, um, I don't remember. Uh, maybe he, he is working on another degree anyway. or something. But um, prayers for Kosi and, and Katie, wherever you are. But Kosi said when we were at Freed, that he wanted to come to Freed to get a Bible degree because there had come a day where there would be missionaries from Africa to America instead of America to Africa. And he's right. Oh, yeah. And it's today. I it's mean, today. it's happening. Yeah. Uh, it's, and that's that's always kind of crazy that, like, because again, I think there was a time where uh, people never would have, yeah, he's from Zimbabwe, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, Kosi's kind of an adopted cousin of our family. Mm. Anyway, uh, his sponsored parents are Chelsea's aunt and uncle. So, anyway. Um, there was a, a, a time where, and again, I think a lot of this is potentially the church's own doing, right? Or, or look, let me back that up. I think a lot of it could be the negative stereotypes of the the evangelical movement, right? You've got so many of these people that are looking to profit off of Christianity, and I think that kind of deterred people from the whole idea to begin with as far as sending people out. Sure. Um, I also think there was a pendulum swing, right? I think that there, there were a lot of churches that were talking about, you know, Hey, foreign mission work is great, but do you notice how many people here in America aren't getting GS either? And so we kind of quit focusing efforts. In, and you don't get me wrong. You still have organizations, uh, Sunset, Bear Valley, a lot of these places yep. trained specifically to send people back to their home countries. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I mean, again, that kind of begs the question, what do you measure? Because um, again, you can focus on numbers. You can focus on, uh, on, on the spiritual growth. And I guess... the. I mean, I guess, well, I guess you kind of do the big question, right? You can measure the growth of, uh, you can measure the fruit of the spirit. You can measure discipleship. You can measure spiritual growth. You can measure uh, church retention, right? Um, but but I think the big question, if it's for all ministers, right? If you're a minister and you've never asked this question, you just graduated like last week. Um, as a minister, when you start talking about success, Mm. Um, or spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. The question that always comes up is, how do you measure that? Yeah, because uh, he kind of he kind of makes a mention of it in the video, right? Like it's a self inventory type thing at some points, but it's also you know he makes churches don't measure what they're supposed to measure. They mm-hmm. should be measuring the fruit of the spirit. Instead, they're measuring uh, how many cars they can fit in the parking lot. Okay, so how do you measure? And actually, so the video on Instagram, he's actually got a couple of people that ask him. How do you measure? Like, I agree with everything that you're saying. How do you do it? I think every minister has asked that. How do you, like, what do you define as success other than just numbers, right? Because, again, you can use numbers to define your success. Um, I don't think that's an accurate depiction. But if your goal was just getting kids in classrooms or Joshua to use your, getting butts in seats, there's ways to do it. Yeah. You can spend more money. You can water things yeah. down. You can do whatever you want. Uh, but how do you measure and then truly define what that success or spiritual growth is? Yeah, there's also a stigma, I think, with uh, with preachers, especially preachers who are in smaller congregations who measure their success, air quotes, right? In, by not using numbers. Because yeah. it, it's kind of like, well, you don't have the numbers, so you have to do something else, you know, like. And and I don't I don't know one way or another whether that's right or wrong, good or bad or, or what. But it, you know the question: How do you measure? Um, I think there are a couple of of things that we ha- do not emphasize that should be emphasized in figuring out whether or not a congregation is successful. And one of those is how many people do we have to actually die in the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, you can you can baptize a thousand people, yeah, and have nine hundred and ninety nine leave the church, yeah. You know, so 
I'm going to read this real quick because I think this is interesting. This has popped in my head, right? So this is uh, – I'm friends with this guy. Uh, he was – I'm not going to say if he's a preacher now. Anyway. He was a preacher. He's moved to like a teaching at a Christian school type type environment. And he made a big, long post um, shortly after he resigned from a work, right? I'm not going to say who it is because, again, I want this kind of stay anonymous. But this is what he says. How we judge a minister's success needs to change. This is part of this rant that these are things that he's learned through preaching. Um, speaking across the nation or at really big gatherings should not be a measure of success. Those yeah. events, while beneficial, are often backpacking events reserved for the inner circle of guys who love to have their pictures taken together. Young yeah. preachers especially need to stop using those moments as signs of success. Success should come from quiet moments away from the crowds, away from social media. Moments where connection is genuine and intimate and having a talent to preach may never actually get you into one of those big circles. So don't make that the ultimate goal. They don't measure success. They only really measure who your friends are and how connected they are. Um, I think there's a lot of truth in that, right? Like you and I know of the, and again, there are guys that make that their, their end all be all goal. Like I've met guys who, not to say there's anything wrong with this particular event, but I've met guys who they know that they've made it when they get invited to speak uh, as a keynote speaker at Polishing the Pulpit. Like that is their number one goal in ministry is to go to do that. Um, You and I know the events and know the guys that run said events that are going to get you invited to speak. If you know the right people that are going to get you invited to speak at the big quote-unquote big events yeah uh, if you're listening to this on a regular basis you probably know what those things are yeah. um and, and I don't, like, the big events are beneficial yeah you know i'm not gonna name any of those events because i don't want this to seem like i'm throwing shade at those things i yeah. think those things are good they serve their purpose most of the guys i must say most most of the guys that speak at those things are great sure there's only a handful that you leave going I mean, yeah. like, could have gotten somebody. I mean, really, guy. And there are guys that know how to speak in those realms to those audiences. But I, I will um, say to your point, Nathan, with those type of events, the guys who are speaking at them mm-hmm. usually are very humble and really want to get out there and do a good 100%. job and, and teach. What the problem is, younger ministers like us yeah. who that want to be that, that guy. Yeah, they, they want to be, be that, that guy. guy. Right. Yeah, so we're not again, really talking and, about those guys. We're talking about the people who want to be those guys. Right. Well, and that's the thing, because for so for so long, because and, and here's the part that I think is unfair, right? The part that I think is unfair about that is because we see those guys and you see younger ministers that just want to be those guys. Like I want to be because like, you and I are part of the churches of Christ, right? Yeah. But we're part of the Lord's church. There are guys that you know within our brotherhood that are viewed as the guy. Yeah. And there are guys that you and I know that are still to this day striving to be that guy, like that next guy. Because somebody's got to be the next guy, so why shouldn't it be me? Um, And the point is, is those things have to change as far as we measure success. And so here's the other part of that, too. The reason that those guys got to be those guys, nobody ever gets to see the successes or, or how you measure how they got to that point. Yep. Right. Nobody sees the the sleepless nights, the shedded tears, the the yeah. things. We just see the guy who gets to be the keynote at all the big events. Yeah. Um, and so again, I just love that point that he made about that doesn't need to be the measure that you use of success. And a lot of those guys are successful, not because they're there, but because of what they did in right. the interim to get like that allowed them to get there. And again, I would be willing to bet that none of those guys grew up with the goal of I want to be the guy. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I think if you have that mentality, you're never going to get to be the guy. Yeah. That's absolutely. just that's just my that's just my opinion. Well, um, I mean, that's, I'm, that's what Jesus tells James and John. You know, they, yeah. they want to be on his right and his left when he comes into his kingdom. And then Jesus says that first of all, that there's going to be somebody in those spots. We're never told in Scripture who it is, but we know it's not going to be James and John. Okay. <laughs> uh, that Jesus makes that much at, at least clear. Yeah. But then Jesus tells them, if you want to be first, you have to become last. If you want to be great, right. you have to become a slave to all. And yeah. that is the mentality that we have to have, not only as ministers, but just as Christians. We have to have an attitude of humility, counting people more important than ourselves, making ourselves slaves of all, being servants of people. You know, And, and that that is a way to make, because success makes it like putting us on a pedestal. 
Yeah. And I think you and I as ministers would say it, there's there's a problem in the church of preacher worship. Don't put oh, yeah. the preacher on a pedestal. Put us on the prayer list. Yeah. Right. You know, pray, pray for us and pray about us a lot. But well, it's the reason that there are names that are recognized by us. And again, yeah. I think they're all phenomenal people. Sure. Uh, but there's a reason that even before he became president of Fred Hardeman, everybody knew who David Shannon was. Sure. Right. Like there's a reason that guys that, that are in, you know, that, that are in our faith tradition, there are guys, there's a reason that people know the last name Jenkins. Like yeah. there's a reason that everybody knows who Billy Smith is. Mm-hmm. Um, again, all those are great guys. Uh, 100%. All of them. And Love phenomenal them. preachers, great ministers. Um, but, but again, but everyone knows them not because they went and spoke somewhere one time. Everyone knows them because if you call those people and say, I have a problem and I need to talk to somebody, they will talk to you for 12 hours straight if they need to. hundred percent. I mean, I've said it for years and I'm still convinced of it. The single best preacher, gospel preacher in the entire world is probably only known by about 15 people out like three hours outside of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Yep. Or, you know, or whatever, wherever Jackson Hole is. It's in yeah, it's in Wyoming. Wyoming. Yeah. See, that's, I thought so. Um, Geography. I mean, that's, that, I'm bad. I have the map back there. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, like I said, so I think that's, I think that always is the boil down to it, right? How do you measure? success is it from the intimate because again i don't think you can just take maybe you are a minister that people come to and again so here and here's where i don't want to get bogged down right because one of the things in my short stint of of being a graduate student one of my things that that still stuck with me uh and and the very first counseling class i took with ryan frazier uh that he made everybody repeat all the time um, because you get into this dangerous mindset as a counselor, but I think you can get into this dangerous mindset as a minister as well, not just as a counselor, as a, as a pastoral counselor, right? As, mm-hmm. as a minister, period. Um, he made everybody repeat this all the time. There is only one Savior, and I am not He. Um, and so I think you have to be really, really careful when you're measuring success on certain things, even if you want to put, because that's a big load to put on yourself, right? Yeah. You know, you start talking about, and so I asked our buddy Landon, who's also been on this podcast, mm-hmm. by the way, uh, you can go back and, and find the one that he's on. But I asked our buddy Landon, I was like, so it's like, this this is kind of our topic that we're going to talk about. What would you say? Uh, and he said, well, I think the only way that you can measure that successfully, uh, and I'll give him a chance to rebuttal uh, eventually, but you know, not, not tonight, sorry. Um, he said, I think the only way you can, you can do that is because we're talking about from a youth ministry perspective, right? Like I started in youth ministry, Joshua never had that luxury because he knew what he wanted. And so, um, a little bit of youth ministry. That's true. You did. Yeah, you did. Uh, but he, you know, he tried his best to skip that part. Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, but you know, we were talking about, like, how do you measure the success of a youth ministry, right? And uh, Landon made the comment about, you know, well, I think the only way you can do that is the kids that stay faithful after they graduate. Sure. And part of me wants to say, yeah, like, I understand that. I can kind of get behind that. But at the same time, my thought process is, yeah, but how much of that is on us versus how much of that is on the home life, the personal decisions that said teenager made, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth, you know. One of the guys that I had that was, I mean, as a, as a youth minister, one of the guys that I had that was the most committed to being and doing, his parents were atheists. I have guys, uh, I, you know, I worked with kids that, again, maybe you all think I'm a terrible minister for, for saying this out loud, but I've, I've worked with, uh, with, with several kids that don't go to church anywhere now um, that are college kids at the moment that grew up in really strong Christian families. Sure. Um, and, you know, some of my more dedicated ones were ones that, grew up kind of without that luxury. And so I I get where you come from when you say something like that, that, well, it's got to be a retention type deal. Um, But at the same time, how much of that can you put on a minister versus an individual? And then again, how do you measure that? Like how do you instill some sort of personal responsibility or self inventory as, as Elias would say um, some of that, some of that self inventory on Christians to make sure that we're, marking our own growth because and, and again i don't want us to seem like this is us as ministers focusing on everybody else because ministers themselves need to do a lot of self-inventory to make sure that they're growing as much as a congregation absolutely if you're not growing and again the balance right yes this is an individual type thing yes you're judged on your faith i'm judged on my faith we're not you know 
on our lives, not, not everybody else's. But at the same time, if you're not growing, how can you expect those that you are supposed to help feed grow as well? Sure. Right. So like, how do you measure that? Well, so just a couple of really broad spectrum things here as we we're getting kind of close to our time. So yeah. Just, well, who, we could go as long as we want. Hey we man, 15 we're, hours. We're, we're, we're ministers. We, we gotta, we gotta wrap it up whenever the that's, clock hits 10 to or whatever. Well, I was about to say, you don't have two kids at home that you got to put to bed either. Well, that's so. true. Well, so a couple of broad things here. When you look in scripture and you look at the first, what we would call successful congregation, it's the first one in Acts 2. Everybody makes a big deal like 3,000 people. Oh, my goodness. 3,000 were baptized. Which like that much. Okay. For those of you that can't see, I'm holding up like the little. A little, little bitty. Yeah. Little so bitty. in Jerusalem at the day of on the day of Pentecost, there'd be about 100,000 or more people. 3,000 is a very small percentage of that, okay? But we count them successful. Why was that? Right. Number one, the word was being preached. Number yeah. two, people were listening and obeying. And number three, which is something we do not think about a lot, when you come to chapter three, the church is being persecuted and they endured persecution and grew through it. Yeah. I think a good way to measure a congregation is to ask, how do we handle persecution and are we growing and maturing through it? Yeah. Well, I mean, and that kind of wraps back to like what you said about COVID, right? Sure. I, mean, I can't remember the number of ministers that, that I talked to through COVID that, that I mean, so many of them viewed COVID not as, and it sounds weird to say like COVID wasn't a gift from God, right? You don't want to, there's a lot of negative that came out of COVID with yeah. the sickness and the death. Um, but a lot of them talked about, look, the church is going to end up trimming some fat through all this. Um, there are going to be some lukewarm Christians that are not going to come back. And that's not, there's a difference between that being something that's successful versus something that's a good thing, right? Yeah, like, right. You know, again, you've got, well, it's a disappointing thing because there's 75 people that we lost that aren't coming back. And we don't know if they're ever going to come back. But at the same time, it's one of those things. Can can a hundred fully blown, dedicated Christians accomplish more for God than 175 lukewarm Christians. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's that in and of itself to some, again, I don't want anything that we say or today to be thinking of like, we don't care about those on the fringe. Like this is not what that is. Mm -hmm. There's always an effort to bring people in from the out, right? There's yeah. all, like seeking and saving the lost is, is, and like, again, not to say that's the end all be all goal for Christians because our goal is to live like Christ, but part of living like Christ is seeking and saving the lost is what yeah. Christ did. Um, Jesus brought people to Jesus. Um, but it's one of those things that I don't know that you can only measure success, right? Based yeah. on what the fringe does, sure. based on what the lukewarm is. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's an important distinction to make uh, yeah. that you've got, you've got to take into account those that are there, those that are continuing to grow uh, in knowledge. And and again, you can, you have to measure that on a, like you have to grow in knowledge, you have to grow in love, you have to grow in forgiveness and mercy. Right. And, uh, you have to grow in discernment. I, I think it's not a popular topic to talk about in, no. in today's day and age. I think another way that congregations can measure their um, call it success or, the trajectory that they're on and figure out where they're at is to say uh, among their members, because we know that every member has a particular function in the body of Christ. Romans 12 makes that abundantly clear. So does first uh, Corinthians three and six and other places as well. You know, every, every member has a purpose is every member active in demonstrating his or her purpose. Yeah. You know, are, well, so, are you using like, your gifts yeah, well, I'm sorry, okay, that, you, yeah, you bring a good point here because, like I said, I'm reading through some of these comments because that's the big question, right? How? How do you do it? Mm. Uh, you talk about self-discernment. Elias uh, makes this makes this comment in his things. He said, my first thought is that a lot of this growth, whether it's discipleship, the fruit of the Spirit, um, can sometimes be best uh, measured with self-reported data, right? Like, so if you were to say, compared to this time last year, do you believe you are more or less loving, joyful, yeah. quick-tempered, peaceful, discerning, right? Like, are you are you growing in those areas that that are attributes of Christ? 
right? Like, are you, or are you, and again, those things change so drastically from year to year. That's what, and again, and, and the reason that I love and hate self-discernment is because one, I love it because you, it, it's, it's a hard thing, right? Like, you know, sure. you better than anybody else. Yeah. You know, you, the reason I hate it. And I've said this from the pulpit, I will continue to say it to the day I die. Nobody can lie to you the way you can lie to yourself. Absolutely. Nobody is more convincing of a liar than you are to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really easy to believe yourself from yep. time to time. Yep. Um, and, and that's why I think it's dangerous. So, and again, I think it's almost impossible to say that there's a one, an end all be all external factor that you look at that measures, right? That you just can't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that people really need to take a, a vulnerable look at themselves and go, where am I? Where am I going? Uh, cause I think we forget that part. Yep. I think we forget the part cause you, you use the livestock illustration, right? Mm-hmm. There's an end goal. Um, you and I are both been on record as saying the end goal as Christians is not get to heaven. Absolutely. Uh, the end, the end goal of a Christian is live like Christ. Yep. Like be like Jesus, live in love the way that he did. If you do that, heaven is heaven's there. Like, yeah, it's there. It's when I guess call it a side effect, but it's a result. Like that's, that's it's not the yeah. goal. That's not the end all be all. And so I think that, in order to measure growth or success or discipleship, measure anything, period, there's got to be a standard by what you put up there. Yeah. Um, and and for us, the standard's given to us, which I think is a big deal, but I don't think we acknowledge that enough. Right. right? Like we get so caught up in using our own standard. Yeah. Like over the next five years, we need to go from 200 to 400. Like five years, we're going to double number. I'm like, that's, that's a good goal to have. Mm-hmm. But you have to be able to measure growth against said goal. Yeah. And and again, we we talked about the problem in numbers already. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, just look we, at just look at Jesus. He started out with twelve, grew yeah. to multitudes, five thousand plus. You know, with. <laughs> um, and then when he died, he had one. Yeah. You know, so numbers can be incredibly misleading. Where were the mm-hmm. five thousand when Jesus was being? crucified you know no numbers can be really misleading for sure for sure but again i think that's why we're giving the standard to begin with right yeah and, and again not to be super discouraging or, or not to acknowledge the fact you know I, I don't ever like using humanity as a crutch but we also have to understand that we're given the standard right um and we can measure our personal growth against that standard but the, the, the great thing actually i think it's a great blessing the great thing about our standard is is you're never going to meet it um, yeah. and I, again, people are like, well, why is that a great thing? Well, it's because you always have room for growth, right? Like you will never get to the point where you cannot grow more. Right. Uh, it's not possible. Yep. And I love that because like, if you ever, I mean, I had a youth minister that said all the time, if you ever reach perfection, there's nowhere for you to go, but down. Right. Um, you can't maintain perfection, right? Yep. Christ could, and that he's it. Yep. Um, and so I love that. I love that we're given a standard and I love that we get to strive for, for growth. Um, but again, I think it's. Well, look at it from a congregational perspective. And again, I understand there are things that as an eldership, the view looks a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also love that you can look at it broad and you can look at it personal as well. Yeah. Anyway, well, what else you got? Uh, I'm out, man. That's it? Oh, man. It's so, you made the comment one time. It's so crazy that we sit here and we're like, man, I feel like it's been 10 minutes and we've sat here for 58 now. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, But anyway, but guys, if you like this video, be sure to hit the subscribe button. If you're I think there's a subscribe button on on Spotify, iTunes. You can follow us. YouTube. I know there's a subscribe button. Uh, Hit the notification bell so that, you know, every single time we release a new podcast, hint, hint, it is the first day of every month. Um, So that's when all these come out. We also post to Facebook, Instagram. Anywhere you find podcasts, we're there. If you want to watch the video in over on YouTube, uh, if you like it, be sure to follow us. Tell all your friends, share our material. If you want us to cover a particular topic, if you find a video online that you think is just really interesting, you're like, man, I would love to hear these guys ramble about that for an hour. Send it to us. We can we'll do it. do it. It's fantastic. Uh, but anyway, if you're ever in Middle Tennessee, specifically Rutherford County, 
Uh, call Joshua. His number, I'm just kidding. His number will not be on the screen, but you can call him up. Uh, he, you could probably Google him, honestly. They'll, you can call the Salem Creek Church of Christ over in Murfreesboro. He'll meet you for sure. coffee uh, and a quick leg workout because that's his favorite day, by the way. I told man. myself, I told myself, I was going to give you a hard time because I got to listen to a sermon and you called leg day of the devil, you weakling. It is of um, the devil. No, man, dude, leg day is a gift from God. Uh, back is from the devil. No, I'll agree stuff. with that too. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to work out back, but leg day, there's just something about doing, you know, a PR with a squat bar um, or in your case, dropping it on your head. That just makes you feel good. Yeah. I'm still recovering. No, we did legs. We did legs two days ago and uh, back yesterday. No, legs yesterday and back two days ago, and yeah. I am feeling it today. I love leg day. Can't stand awesome. back, but I do love. Well, and I say I can't stand back too because I play golf a lot, and so I really don't like my back being stiff and yeah. sore. Tell mine it, is it today. Messes, it messes with the golf game a lot. But anyway, but arm day is tomorrow, is- and arm day is fell from heaven in a golden parachute. Oh, gosh, I hate arm day. Well, I don't hate arm day. It's it's better than than a lot of things, but. I don't appreciate guys that are like, yeah, let's work out arms and then spend two and a half hours doing bicep curls. Hey, come on. Um, <laughs> it's only going to do so much for you, man. Um, I promise you those bicep curls, when you've got like a kid in each arm and you're trying to carry groceries in, those bicep curls are not what's doing it for you. Yep, you're right. Um, but anyway, uh, if again, if you're ever in Middle Tennessee, give Joshua a call. Y'all can have that conversation yep. for, for hours on end. If you're ever in West Tennessee – Look me up. We'd be more than happy to, to talk with you guys. Uh, if you're ever looking for a church home, be sure to hit us up for that as well. Uh, until next time, guys, we appreciate you uh, indulging in our uh, uh, whatever this is. Uh, our discussions. Anyway, we'll our discussions. There you go. Our breaking down the Swiss cheese theology right. uh, of the world. This has been, I didn't say it at the beginning, but this has been uh, your content warning podcast, right? The Bible Meets Culture podcast, and, and we'll we'll catch you next time.